Hello and welcome to the Tabletop Miniature Hobby Podcast, brought to you by BedroomBattlefields.com. It's the audio equivalent of a glossy blood red and goblin green mid-90s copy of White Dwarf blown around the icy ruins of Frostgrave. I'm your host, Matthew, and I really appreciate you choosing to spend some time with us today. Let's dive in. So, welcome to the Tabletop Miniature Hobby Podcast, Gigi. You've been on every other podcast out there. I thought it was about time to get you on this one. <laughs> well, I don't know about every other podcast, but uh, yeah, I've been around. Yeah, you, you do the rounds. You do the rounds. So, I, I first... Uh, First heard your dulcet tones on the orchard, I'm sure, and then you've obviously been doing a fair bit on uh, Josh's podcast as well. And now you've uh, went and and you've went out on your own there and started your own show. So, um, is it, uh, is there any other shows that you that you pop up on regularly? Uh, no, definitely not regularly, and I don't think there are any other shows that I've been on. Whether well, there are some some local Dutch things that I've did uh, I've done for radio and everything but that's not hobby related so uh, that is more work related but uh, yeah th- th- those are the the three big ones yeah so yeah you, you obviously enjoy getting behind the microphone then and doing a bit of podcasting yeah I didn't know that I did until Nathan invited me to uh, come onto the war games orchard and to uh, participate in one of his episodes and then later on he uh, he made me a co-host so yeah, apparently that's something that um, yeah, I, I, well, I definitely like to do. I, I like to talk about uh, the things that interest me. Uh, I, I'm also a, a public speaker, so uh, there, there's there's that. I I do like to talk uh, about things that uh, that pique my interest. So um, I was just surprised that there were so many people that wanted to listen to what I had to say. Yeah, it's been a, it's been really interesting listening through the conversations that you've had, both uh, the the solo episodes and conversations with various co-hosts, including Nathan. So I think a lot of us are in the position that we, uh, you know, we, when we, for those of us who grew up with the Warhammer world pre-internet, we had a very finite amount of information. We only really had the books or magazines that we had. And nowadays there's information available that gives us a more rounded picture of the whole history and the evolution of the games. And I think you've done a really good job uh, bringing us that information, you know, filling in the blanks, uh, things we weren't aware of, timelines and, and different gaming systems and that. So I really appreciate all the, the time that you put into that. Yeah, well, I, I like researching this stuff, and uh, um, one of the first things I did solo was the 5th edition campaign packs for Warhammer Fantasy, and uh, just figuring out when and where these things took place, if you could put it in a sort of coherent place within the greater Warhammer lore, um, yeah, just just looking at that and researching things, and there's fortunately also some materials on the internet that are very helpful, like the uh, um, the, the the Warhammer uh, Lexicanum and uh, Warhammerpedia or something like that, uh, Warhammer Wikipedia. So um, it's it's just uh, a lot of fun figuring this stuff out, and I I, I started in. 6th edition playing Warhammer at the tail end of 5th edition I had some introduction games 
but everything before that was just a, a big blank for me. So um, when I started collecting the game, uh, at first I just played regularly and played all the editions that came out as they came out. And then after the game was ended, I still kept collecting miniatures. And it was only a couple of years ago that I thought, well, let's see if there are still people playing. I thought I was one of the few but it turns out that there were still many people, even in the Netherlands here, playing all these old games and old editions. And that really got me interesting in, in finding out all the different source books and everything that was released. At first, I thought I'm going to collect everything from fourth edition upwards. And then I got some uh, third edition materials that I could get relatively cheaply and then i thought well there's not so much for first and second edition so let's also try to hunt that down um so yeah now i'm uh, what i'm doing on the uh, the podcast that i just started the forces of fantasy if i may uh, plug that a little bit i uh, uh i'm going through all the warhammer publications warmer fantasy publications starting at first edition and this is basically just a learning experience for me because as I'm doing the podcast, that's, that's more or less the first time that I'm reading through these materials. So I'm just trying to figure it out as I go, which um, hopefully is uh, is interesting to the uh, to the listeners. Yeah, it certainly is. Like I say, it's um, you know, it just it helps us fill in the blanks because we we a lot of us haven't played all these editions or haven't experienced them before. Is there anything that's like? Shock is maybe a strong word, but when you've been going through all these things for the first time, is there anything that's really jumped out or surprised you at any point? Yeah, a couple of things actually. And then the main one is how similar the rules were right from the get-go to what it has been uh, in the edition that, that well, whenever you joined, joined. So um, if you, say, started in, uh, well, like me in 6th edition Warhammer Fantasy, uh, then there are some rules differences between 5th and 6th edition and uh, between 4th and 5th and, and between 4th and 3rd. But if if you go back, those the things that are the same, uh, to me at least, seem to be much... There are more things that are the same than there are different, if you, if you get what I mean. So why do you uh, think that is? That line is something like that straight from the get go. Uh, there are some differences, uh, but uh, yeah, well, I think um, don't change your winning theme. So if you have a formula that works, then uh, just go with it, and then then you just tweak it a little bit, and uh, you maybe add a face here or or move the uh, the magic face from the end of the turn to uh, right after movement or something like that. But um, other than that, if you have something that works, then just keep it. And uh, you don't need to change the game too much between editions. And uh, yeah, well, for, for some reason, uh, I thought first edition would be way, way out there, not even comparable to any later edition of Warhammer Fantasy. But uh, it's uh, it, right from the very start, uh, you can recognize it at Warhammer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what, uh, I mean, what edition, if you could only pick one, would you kind of opt for? Like, what's your favorite edition? 
I think that would have to be sixth. Well, I'm a little bit tossed up between uh, sixth edition and, uh, and and fifth edition, or at least one of the Hero Hammer editions, because I do like the style of the Hero Hammer era, where you had these uh, epic characters and everything, and uh, uh, small model count armies. But I think in sixth edition, um, that's the edition that you saw the game getting the most love from Games Workshop itself with all the different uh, summer campaigns and stuff like that. Uh, every single army had its own army book. Um, well, that's not true because Chaos Dwarves and Dogs of War didn't get an army book in 6th edition, but at least Dogs of War got the uh, White Dwarf lists. And uh, and Angel also got a lot of other White Dwarf lists and uh, options. You got the General's Compendium, stuff like that. Uh, everything combined in one book, uh, skirmish rules, siege rules. So I think 6th edition um, would be my go-to. If, if that was from now on the only edition I could ever play, that would be the one that I could uh, that I would choose. Though I wouldn't miss the other ones too. I'm going to ask you some questions about the, the new old world, obviously. We'll, we have to talk about that. But if, even if we cast that aside for a minute and, you know, even if that wasn't happening, people would still be playing the old editions as they are today. Why do you think, for a game that has not been supported for so long, it's still it's still very popular with a lot of people? Uh, I think that will de- differ from person to person. Um, it is, of course, a huge investment in time and money that you put in to to buying this game if you want to have a fully painted army. Um, so that's not something that you throw away easily. Um, there's also, of course, the aspect that you put in a little bit of yourself in, in those armies. If you paint something, then you will develop your own style and, and you will develop your own stories with your army. So you will get emotionally attached to your miniatures. Um, at least that's, that's how it works for me. I know that some people just sell off their miniatures and, and buy fully painted armies and then that's, that's all fine. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, that, that's something that you, you want to keep on. And if you have it, and if you don't want to toss it because it's got, it's cost you so much money and, uh, uh you've got this, uh, nostalgic emotional det- attachment, then you often also want to take it out sometimes and play it. And if the game is no longer supported, then, well, let's just play with the books that we still have and with the additions that we used to play. And I think that after the old world ended, so so after the Warhammer stopped being supported, uh, that, that was when people rediscovered all of those old editions that they used to love. And you see now that there's actually a sort of... Uh, split between people who play the old hammer edition so first second and third uh, there are some people who play mostly the hero hammer editions um fourth and fifth uh, there's a large sixth edition community and there's a large eighth edition community uh, seventh edition uh, we, we just don't talk about that that's uh, <laughs> that one's a little bit weird but um yeah that's uh you see people now gravitating towards their own favorite editions and uh, and then you've also got people like me who will play any edition as long as you are willing to roll some dice do you see them as i know what you've literally just said about a lot of similarities 
but do you still see them as as clearly defined in different games that you prefer not to mix and match maybe miniatures or eras or things like that so so it just you know whether people quote unquote are playing it very properly with the the correct miniatures for the correct era or you know some people are just happy to say okay i've got high elves here who cares what era they're from i'm going to play them in this particular edition yeah, yeah, I've I've seen both. I know some people who want to have, say, a third edition army with just the miniatures that were around at the time, so so just the uh, up to and including third edition. Um, for me, it's just whatever I can get my hands on, and uh, I think High Elves is a great example. So thank you for mentioning that. Uh, I've got the fourth edition starter set, Monopose, Archers, and Spearmen. I've got the 8th edition Island of Blood starter set, uh, Swordmasters and, and Griffin and stuff like that. I've got a lot of 6th edition uh, plastic and metals. Um, yeah, just anything that was uh, that I can get my hands on and that I, I just mix and match. And um, for example, in my own Bretonia army, I have uh, some 6th edition miniatures and some 5th edition miniatures. And, well, of course, now they are going to be re-released. But when I started my army, they weren't. So what I did was I used the 5th edition knights uh, for the regular knights, for the knights of the realm, and the 6th edition ones that are a little bit more, a little bit bigger and a little bit more, uh, more fancy with those shield emblems on the barding and stuff like that. I, I use those plastics as grill knights. So I've got a unit of 6th edition plastic knights that I use as grill knights in my Bretonian army. And then for for peasants, it's uh, some historical miniatures, so some parry miniatures, uh, some um, third-party fantasy stuff. Uh, Norma miniatures make some great uh, battle pilgrims. So it's just going to be a mix of uh, whatever I can get to fill out the slots that that are still open. Were you actively participating in the hobby during the time that uh, Games Workshop blew up the old world, I think 2016? No, it actually came as a sort of a shock to me. I was in college back then um, and in... Let me think, that was, I think that was sort of my last year in, in university. So I, I did a little bit, uh, um, spent a little bit too many years about uh, go, going about my studies, got distracted with a lot of other things. And I didn't really play much Warhammer back then. I, I did play a lot of D&D, uh, but also not so much anymore during those later years. Um, so yeah, I knew that there was this, uh, uh, Nagash book had come out and, uh, I, I'm not sure if I bought it then. I don't think I did, but I, I do know I, I, I picked up the, uh, eighth edition orcs and Tomb King's book as well as triumph and treachery for some reason, because I thought, well, that looks like a nice expansion, but, uh, I only played about once a year back then against a friend from high school. And um, because I, I hadn't even read the 8th edition rules, I just played 7th with him because that was the last edition that we uh, that I had actively played by then. So um, I knew that there was this, this end times thing going on 
but I didn't know that it was going to actually be the end of Warhammer. So when I next time got into the local gaming store and they've got all these Age of Sigma things, I was just uh, wondering, well, what's this then? Where was all my Warhammer stuff? And then they said, well, yeah, they they blew up the Warhammer world and uh, this is the new thing. So uh, then I thought, okay, um, I I don't like that. I don't like change. Uh, I'm I'm very, uh, I'm, I'm I'm a bit a uh, bit bit OCD in that way. So uh, I I don't like big changes, especially if I don't know about them. So I thought, uh, oh well. Um, doesn't matter. I'm still going to uh, keep painting my miniatures. Uh, it's not as if I'm playing with against anyone or so. So uh, yeah, I just uh, did that. And then uh, my hobby life consisted mostly of painting miniatures. There was a little bit of a hiatus around the time I moved house and got married. I didn't have access to my painting stuff for about a year or so, I think. And then uh, I picked it back up again and uh, found that I still really like painting. And uh, then I found out that there was still a lot of people active on Facebook who were playing all the old editions. And um, then I, I started collecting a little bit more and everything. And then the pandemic hit and everything uh, skyrocketed. One thing that you've uh, provided a lot of coverage and content on is the in fact more than games workshop i would say which isn't hard is the the, the new old world so back in late <laughs> 2019 we had a a surprise announcement i think we could say from games workshop that uh, you know square bases and the old world it's coming you know not soon maybe a few years from now uh, so it was all very vague. If I remember correctly, it was on the same day as I think Kings of War released a new edition. So there was obviously a bit of a dig in there as well. Uh, and it caused a lot of hype and there was a lot of speculation at that time. Nobody knew anything. So there was all sorts of speculation, you know, is this going to be 10 mil? Is it going to be this? Is it going to be that? Uh, actually, one of the in fact that the very first guest on this podcast back in summer twenty one, I think it was, was Nathan, and then I had Nathan back. I was just looking at the archives there, so I had Nathan back on in January twenty twenty two to talk about the old world and what we knew so far, which at that point was still very little. So he said at that time, looking back, that he th- he wants the old world to be. Where's the quote? I've got it written down here. Aye, so Nathan had said that he feels the old world needs to be immersive, accessible and authentic. So knowing what we know now, which is obviously slightly more than we did back then, do you feel it's on course to to hit those goals? I I can only say that I hope so. I hope it will. Um, I think they will... uh, from what I've seen so far, I think the the criterion authentic will be will be matched because we're just seeing uh, the same miniatures that were around when the old world blew up. So uh, I think by, by authentic, Nathan means that it, it's got to have that that Warhammer feel. So from what I've seen so far, I think uh, it will have that. Uh, immersive uh, well is it has got a, there's a lot of hype but um i don't know yet people have been playing the, the, these old editions that they have rediscovered for so many years now 
that Games Workshop really have to do their best if they want to make this into their next big thing. If they want to steal people back from playing their their old games, their old editions that are no longer supported. And accessible, um, it's getting harder to believe that it will be uh, because what you need for an accessible game is something that's easy to get into at least that that's what the the association that i have with the word accessible you can go many ways with that of course but for new players if you want to play a new army or if you want to to get into this game you want to be able to get a lot of miniatures for a little amount of money especially if you want to to get the people into the game uh, in their in their teens, uh, which is uh, I think where most of us started. So so early teens, late teens. Uh, a lot of people I know started the game in high school. Uh, so if you want to get those people involved, then you have to make miniatures accessible. And from what I've seen now with those new releases, those new uh, Lizardman releases, uh, you pay, what was it, 55 euros for a box of five uh, skinks on, uh, on, on, on Raptors. Uh, those are plastic models. You pay uh, 35 euros for a plastic Saurus battle standard bearer. Uh, those prices have got me scared that any new miniatures they will release or any even any old miniatures they will re-release, they will have gone up in price excessively. And that will keep people from buying those miniatures. And if people don't buy the miniatures, then the game will not be supported for very long because uh, they're putting all this effort into it and nobody's buying the miniatures because well a lot of us still have got our old armies and we're going to play it so yeah i think if the, the fact that we can use our old armies will mean that it is accessible for those of us who have armies but for new players uh, I, I fear that this will not be a game that many new people will get into as uh, uh if they if they haven't had some Warhammer experience already, or if they haven't if if they don't have the disposable income, mm, mm, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and um, what are some of the latest uh, updates that we've heard out of Games Workshop on this project? I believe the latest one was from Warhammer Fest. Uh, no, there was one after that. But you had on Warhammer Fest, you had the release of those two new miniatures, a Bretonian uh, questing knight character on foot and a Tomb King character on foot, a new Tomb King model. Um, and then after that, they did a post on the Warhammer Community website. That's where I get all my information, Warhammer Community uh, warhammer-community.com I have to look it up because I, I know I, I spent a little episode on it uh, a little impromptu episode of my podcast on it but I don't really remember what was in the post right now so let me just look it up real quick 
Um, but we, we did see, I remember, some some photographs of armies that uh, and of miniatures that we will we will get. We will get some uh, some dwarf miniatures. We saw some dwarf miniatures. We saw uh, high elves. We saw some orcs miniatures. Um, let's see here. Oh yeah, the main factions revealed that that, that was uh, that was the main topic. So um, what they will do is they will focus on nine main factions, and uh, we also have now. Uh, for I think we already knew that, but uh, rather definitively that this is uh, the setting will be in the the geographical area of the old world. So if you if you look at the map, um, it's it's basically the parts of uh, Bretonia and the Empire and uh, a little bit around that. But so so no Lustria or Nagaroth or, or no Far East, stuff like that. And uh, it will be set in the timeline before the Great War Against Chaos, uh, which was around uh, 2200, if I recall correctly. And uh, when the Old World blew up, we were a little bit over 2500, so so well over 300 years before the what you might call the present timeline when the game ended. And what we see here is that the game will focus initially on nine main factions, which are uh, the Empire, the Dwarfs, Bretonia, Wood Elves and High Elves uh, for the, the, the forces of good. But I believe they rectified that. I, I thought it said good factions here at first and then evil factions on the other side. And the evil factions are Orcs and Goblins, uh, Warriors of Chaos, Beastmen and Tomb Kings. And, uh, yeah, that's, of course, good news for people who have been after, say, Bretonia and Tomb Kings miniatures for a long time and have been paying exorbitant amounts of money to get uh, some plastic kits. And they say that the other factions, uh, Dark Elves, Skaven, Vampire Counts, Demons of Chaos, Ogre Kingdoms, Lizardmen, and Chaos Dwarfs, they won't get some initial releases, but they will get a... Uh, what was it? PDF rules, uh, free PDF rules to so that they can still be played. And they also provided some background for why these factions are not so much in the main game. And at least in the case of Demons of Chaos, they said, well, you've got the Great War Against Chaos coming and by then the Winds of Magic will start blowing fiercer and uh, then we will get demons. So I think then the other factions will also start getting a little bit more love but uh, yeah for now it's just basically set in the in the old world and geographical area of the old world with uh, those nine main factions and uh, there are a few that have not been mentioned namely uh, dogs of war i think uh, there was also another one kislev i believe they well they they, they were part of the empire so but but when the first Total War Warhammer stuff was released, uh, that also got the Old World logo on it, we all thought that Kislev was going to be its own main faction. So apparently not, I guess. And and same for Cathay. That's uh, that's also not going to be a thing or not going to be a thing yet. Um, yeah, I, I don't really know what Games Workshop is doing here because I think they they should have done this way earlier and 
um, especially seeing the hype that the Total War Warhammer games have generated. They should have jumped on that and and have said, hey, uh, you like the computer game? Look, we've got the miniatures that are in the actual computer game. Just go buy them and buy our paints and go play with them. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think... Uh, I think the old world will I hope it will succeed but I am rather skeptical that it will because um because of just the the whole marketing stuff and the way that the world is now uh I know that a lot of people in the in in, in the older older editions groups are just saying, well, we'll see if it's going to be something, but I probably won't play it. So, yeah, I don't know if that's uh, that, that's not good news for Games Workshop, of course. Uh, so, so unless this game is going to be very, very good, then I think you will still not reach a lot of your original fan base. Warhammer turning, of course, uh, 40 this year. Do you think we'll see the game released? within this year before the end of 2023 i don't know um they i think they had originally planned to do so but i also know that the whole game development got delayed due to the pandemic i don't know for how much it has been delayed um seeing that they have been steadily putting out some more news and articles in these past few months does give me hope that we will see something before the end of the year. But yeah, then they've also got this new 40k edition and uh, and they've got a lot of other games, stuff like that. So I'm I'm not sure. I, I don't know. Um yeah they didn't they didn't put it up on the timeline I believe for Warhammer Fest. Now I, I haven't checked everything that was put out from Warhammer Fest, but I do know there were some timelines and I don't think that anything old world related had been put on there so maybe even games workshop doesn't know yet it would be nice to see it in come again in this year because of the 40th year but well they can also say we're going to wait for next year and then we've had 40 years of warhammer and then in the 41st year we're going to start over again so mm-hmm. uh, they, they, they might do that or, or try to rectify it by doing that um yeah i don't know i i've uh it can go either way. Uh, you never know with Games Workshop. If you're in the market for a t-shirt, mug, sticker or magnet with Goblin Green bases written on it, then today is your lucky day. We've teamed up with Tee Public to create a merch store for the podcast, which you could visit by going to bedroombattlefields.com forward slash store. So go and get yourself some Goblin Green bases branded merch today and bonus points if you send in a photo of you being escorted out of your local games workshop. That's bedroombattlefields.com slash store. And now, back to the show. Yeah, it'll be interesting to follow it um, whenever that happens. But yeah, no, I recommend you, you subscribe to Gigi's show and keep it Keep up because you've you've done a good job so far, <laughs> picking Thanks, through the, the the little crumbs that we've been thrown. Um, switching gears slightly, I wanted to talk a bit about something that you're really active on, and that's paint challenges. Um, so the concept of a paint challenge, of course, um, in one of the various communities online, is to to maybe pick a theme and set a time, set a deadline, 
and uh, have at it. And do you, I mean, why, why are you so passionate about painting challenges and what do you see as the, the big positives of them? The reason I'm so passionate about them is because I need my, my deadlines to get stuff done. Um, if I don't have a deadline, say a game or, uh, or a deadline from a paint challenge, then I can just pick up a miniature, start it, get distracted, pick up another miniature. And I've got literal boxes sitting around of, of half painted and undercoated miniatures, stuff that I want to do next is going to be my next project. And then I get distracted again and they keep sitting on my desk or, or in a in a cupboard nearby but uh, yeah if, if i have a paint challenge uh, where i focus for example on a certain army or a certain theme then that will help me get my stuff on the table and uh, even though it's not going to be painted to a great standard I, i'm not a great painter so i don't expect to to have my stuff looking as if it was professionally painted um but yeah that's as long as it's painted i can play with it and uh if i want to try out something new or try some new units then i think at least for myself i want to have them painted first before i put them on the table so so i need a deadline to do that and otherwise i'm just next time i'm, I'm sitting down building an army and i think oh i want to really use say uh tomb guard now but i don't have any tomb guard painted so yeah then there's a problem over the, right there so then i just fall back to the same units that i had painted and uh, uh I, yeah that's i, I think and, and i think that's also true for a lot of other people that they just like the pressure and the deadlines and the, the mutual accountability um even though it's just something that you for the most part participate in yourself there's there's no um there's no penalty for not completing your your monthly allowance say uh, maybe it is the penalty is that you're you're out of the challenge and yeah well if that's the case then um, then you can still do whatever you want, but it's not as if it's going to cost you anything. It's not as if it's going to cost you money or miniatures or stuff like that. So um, even though you there's there's no really no penalty, no downside. A lot of people still need a deadline to get their stuff done, and um, yeah, you, you see a lot of great things happening then that uh, people within say half a year have a, a fully playable army that they can field or uh, have have finished uh, some some units for a that, that, that they've been sitting on their desk for a long time or have uh, finished the stuff that they have been uh, trying to do but haven't gotten around to um it's uh, and 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 there's of course a whole community aspect as well, sharing your work, uh, having other people comment on it, just uh, showing off what you've been doing this month, what you've accomplished, real sense of accomplishment. If you finish a challenge, if you uh, even if you finish a a, a sub challenge, let's say one month of a challenge, 
So yeah, I, I try to always have at least one paint challenge going, maybe not back to back, but uh, um, I, I I do like uh, participating in challenges and uh, that's uh, that's also the reason why I did the Call of the Crown. Um, there, there was a Call of the Crown edition one during the first year of the pandemic. And then after that, it was a little bit quiet on that front. And there was another challenge that I participated in, which was called the Gathering of Mighty Painters, but it only had 15 people in initially. And then uh, when that was finished, I thought, oh, well, what am I going to do next? And then I, I spoke to Josh. Uh, hey, Josh, can I borrow your brand? Can I host a Call of the Crown second edition? And and uh, just post it on my blog and, and post it, uh, host it on your podcast as well. Do some uh, monthly reviews. And then uh, Josh said, uh, well, yeah, that's uh, that's fine. You just do the challenge however you want. And uh, I got some feedback from the community as well. So I, so I changed some things around here and there, both before the challenge and uh, during the challenge as well. Uh, learned a lot from that. And now the Call of the Crown 2 challenge has actually finished as of yesterday. I still need to gather all the entries and... Uh, all the entries for May and all the final entries and post them up on my blog. And I believe that uh, the initial plan was to make a video with the final army shots. Uh, so I, I have to see if somebody can do that. Um, it would be nice. I, I don't have the video editing skills myself to do that, but uh, I think we can find someone. And um, yeah, then, then we have uh, completed another challenge and, uh, Right before this challenge finished, I heard that in the fourth edition one Facebook group, there was a gentleman who wanted to do a fourth edition themed challenge. So, uh, yeah, I picked his brain a little bit and uh, thought, well, that sounds like fun. I'm probably going to sign up for that one next. So, uh, yeah, challenges are, uh, for me at least, are the way to go. And, and seeing as how many people participate in them, uh, I th I think for a lot of people they are a great help to uh, to just get their their miniatures painted to uh, to slay the gray to uh, reduce the backlog the pile of potential. <laughs> I think I heard you saying on the uh, when talking about the crown uh, the call of the crown sorry that you um, was it something like a hundred thousand points not not your personal painting but. Uh, combined with everyone was it something like a hundred thousand points yes we we have uh well over a hundred thousand points i believe over a hundred and twenty thousand points has been painted in the challenge um up until up to and including april this is the seven months uh the challenge lasted for eight months including may and i, I haven't logged may yet but i can uh i've got this excel sheet so i'll just open it for you uh, let me see here. Yeah, we're, we're um, f from what I've been, uh, let's see, in, in total, we have 120,632 and a half points for the first seven months of the challenge. And for these past few months, we've had around uh, 12 to 15,000 points a month. I'm... 
the, the number of drop-offs uh, increases, but I think for May we will see at least another 12,000 there. So so it's, I think it's safe to say that we're well over 130,000 points painted during the challenge. Maybe maybe even going up to 135. I don't think I will dare to hope for 140, but uh, um, yeah, that's... Uh, quite an amazing amount with uh, let's see how many participants do we have um a little under 90 i believe 88 different people some are somewhere in that twice with uh, different armies and uh, i think around 15 have dropped out in total so say around 75 people have painted uh, i'm gonna guess 135,000 points in in eight months time and um yeah i'm re- i'm really impressed with that and and just all the all the love and all the feedback that that people have been putting out there just uh just amazing to see how how this speaks to so many people how so many people just uh, um j- just appreciate uh someone saying hey guys let's all paint miniatures together yeah yeah i mean it's a it could be a solitary endeavour at times. I think there's a lot to be said for that, you know, bringing in the community element. Um, it's just a, it's a... It's great. It's great, really, to think that there's probably a lot of miniatures that have sat for 30 or more years, you know, in drawers and unpainted, and now they're, now they're actually being painted and hopefully getting on the table and getting some action at last as well. Yeah, nice I've, I've seen some wrapped boxes and closed blisters, sealed blister packs uh, in, the, in the pre-painting pictures with uh, some some very old logos on there. Yeah, it's great great to see. And um, a lot of, you know, when you take the time to, to go into the Discord as well or, or, you know, any community that's running them, you see a lot of fantastic pictures as well. Um so what what have you been working on lately with with your painting? Well, for the Call of the Crown, I've been doing a very large beastman army and a smaller ogre kingdoms army. Um, I had for the Call of the Crown the option for to enter into uh, the challenge in in one of three tiers. You could go say up to one thousand points for a leisurely tier. You could go up to 1,500 points for a competitive tier and uh, 2,000 plus for a um, fanatic uh, level. And uh, I was pretty amazed to see how many people joined at the fanatic level. At, at first, I had, I thought I'm just going to do 2,000 points and a lot of people said, no, nah, it's going to be too much. So I just uh, gave people the option to, to buy in a different amounts. And I think that's also part of the... Uh, success of the challenge um that that people could just do their own thing and uh, then i saw that there were no ogre kingdom armies so i thought oh that's a little bit sad so i'm I'm going to make my own ogre list which consisted of uh greece's gold tooth and six man eaters the six different man eater sculpts uh which which was around a thousand points uh for, for just those seven miniatures it, it needn't be a legal army i should say and then, um, but the, my main army was uh, Beastmen. So that was just going to be a lot of plastics, a lot of contrasts. And uh, I did plan to paint every single Beastman miniature 
that I own, but that proved a little bit too ambitious. Uh, I think I painted around uh, 85 or 90% of all my beastmen. I've still got some some plastic monopose. Uh, th- what is that? The, the Battle Masters or um, third edition, fourth edition plastic uh, uh, gores with uh, with uh, halberds. Um, I've got some plastic gores. I got a few special characters that I haven't painted yet. And I think I also got some some centigors, but uh, yeah. Other than that, I painted most of the uh, beastmen that I had. I was really looking forward to the minotaurs. Uh, I one of the first battles that I played back in sixth edition was against someone's chaos army who had a, who had a big unit of minotaurs, and they just looked fantastic. And and he really slaughtered me with that. Uh, so yeah, that. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, let me see here. I think I painted all in all. Oh, I have to. Uh, I love Excel sheets, so I put everything in Excel sheets. But uh, see, I didn't do that one. I have to take some numbers out. It did, so it was a thousand points for the. Um, what's it called? For the for the ogres and uh for the beastmen i think around seven and a half thousand let me see real quick uh drum roll please uh, a little bit less uh, uh, almost seven thousand points but that, that's without any magic items except for the ones that are carried by the special characters so uh yeah that's um quite a decent uh, beastman force there so uh, really happy that that i got them out of the way uh, I, th- I think they are one of my least favorite armies they just don't really speak to me but uh, for completeness sake i i want to have them so yeah apart from the minotaurs they're, they're, they're not i i think i think they, they could be more than they are the beastmen uh, yeah they all look like uh, like goatmen uh, there are a lot more beasts than just goats so i think if they went with some more mutations uh, maybe some different hats like uh, uh, a deer hat or a swine hat or a wolf hat or something like that um mm-hmm. they would be a, li- a lot more interesting but yeah other than that uh got a lot of beatmen done uh, got most of them out of the way and then i can focus on my next project so uh, as we uh, as we come to the end of our sort of time window, GJ, where uh, might the listener go to to check out any pictures of what you've been painting, or indeed any other content that you're putting out, including, of course, your your new podcast? Well, I'm really terrible at putting my own pictures online. Um, I do plan to do that on the uh, the Forces of Fantasy podcast group i i, I made uh well, let's let's start with that the, the, the new podcast that i'm starting is uh, is called forces of fantasy um which is uh looking at everything that's been released for warhammer starting at first edition so the first few episodes are out now uh, these have actually already been released on the war games orchard but for practical reasons i decided that it would be better to to give this thing its own show so uh for the fantasy podcast you can find me on facebook and you can find the podcast on on spotify and on all the 
regular podcasting platforms, uh, everything that I could find uh, that I subscribed to on on Podbean, I, I put it out. So um, that's where you can find the podcast. And as for pictures, yeah, I don't really know yet. I had an Instagram account, but for some reason it got deleted. I, I had no idea what I did wrong. But apparently I did something wrong and Instagram refuses to tell me and there's no way reason, no way to to uh, recover that account. So all the pictures that I posted there are gone. And uh, then I thought, well, not going to do that again. So I think I will just stick with Facebook, but I'm, I'm terrible at posting my pictures there. I think the uh, Forces of Fantasy uh, podcast community group will be the main thing where I will post my painted army pictures but uh, yeah like i said I, I i don't do that as often as i should um, it's uh, for some reason uh, i just can't get that into my system to to post updates uh, uh, on facebook or, or wherever so uh, it's it's mostly audio it's mostly the podcast um, hopefully at some point I will also add video, but yeah, the, I will mention it on the podcast as well if I do so. So, uh, yeah, forces of fantasy. That's where you can, where you can find me. That's just going to be the, uh, the main, uh, uh, Google term that you need, uh, forces of fantasy, which is the same as the first ever supplement for for Warhammer, the first ever supplement for Warhammer first edition was also called Forces of Fantasy, which is uh, where I derived the name from uh, because I thought, well, that that's that's basically what we're going to discuss on the podcast: the forces for Warhammer Fantasy and all the different iterations, uh, and probably a little bit more as well uh, when the time comes. I will probably also dive a little bit into things like Mortime and Man of War uh, because they also deserve some episodes. They are they are great games, uh, great uh, branching off games that take place in the world of Warhammer. So yeah, that's that's probably what I'm going to uh, focus the podcast on mostly. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of the Tabletop Miniature Hobby Podcast, brought to you in association with BedroomBattlefields.com. Please do share the show with anyone you think might like it, or if you're feeling extra generous. Why not leave us a rating and review on your podcast listening app of choice? Bonus points if you mention the Snotland Pump Wagon in your review. I don't think the Snotland Pump Wagon gets enough love in the world of podcast reviews, so let's all pull together and change that, shall we? Alright, thanks again for listening. We'll catch up again on the next one. Music